0: ID, the future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Greetings, I'm Tom Gilson. We all know that science has done the world enormous good. Unfortunately, there's a whole range of ideas that have gained tremendous traction and advantage by hitching a ride along with science in all that it has accomplished. And today on ID, the future, we'll hear about some of those ideas. It's the first part of two that we'll present from a panel discussion presented at an insider briefing given to scientists, scholars, and supporters of the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture in August of 2022. Our host is John West, who will both speak and then also introduce the second panelist, Dr. Richard Weikart.
1: We've been focusing thus far today, at least, mainly on the science and some of the implications of it uh, positively for understanding our uniqueness and our capacities and just how miraculous, frankly, they are. For this session, we're going to go back to sort of the topic of, well, how does this impact the culture if science goes astray? And because we're the center for science and culture. So we're going to be dealing with some really, uh, in some sense, very practical and things that really impact the real world. And and there's a long history here of science and its interaction uh, with culture. And that struck me, actually, let me turn this on. So struck me just a few weeks ago when my wife and I had the opportunity to visit Turin, Italy, where... Uh, paleontologist Gunter Beckley and I were speaking at the public launch of the Italian Society for Intelligent Design. Uh, they had been wanting to have a launch uh, since 2020, but some of you may remember 2020 wasn't the best time, especially in Italy, let alone here to do an in-person event. Now Turin is probably the best known as the repository of the famous sort of Shroud of Turin. Uh, but it also has a very storied history in, in dealing with science and culture. In fact, sort of tragic history. Uh, in the late 19th and early 20th century, it was the location of a number of human zoos where non-European uh, peoples were put on public display as lower stages of the evolutionary process. Uh, The city was also the home to probably the most notorious Darwinian criminologist of history. Uh, His name was Cesare Lombroso, and he was a longtime professor of forensic medicine at the University of Turin. To this day, there's a museum there uh, devoted to his work, which I visited one morning. It displays countless skulls and plaster casts of heads of criminals from Lombroso's collection. Now, Lombroso and his followers stigmatized some people as born criminals, viewing them as subhuman throwbacks to an earlier stage of evolutionary history. Uh, Lombroso and his followers further denied that criminals were moral agents who were responsible for their actions. Now, since returning from Italy, I've actually learned that he apparently focused on southern Italians for his work because he thought they were less evolved than northern Italians and thus racially and biologically inferior. I mean, very interesting and very tragic and similar to arguments in the United States that tried to stigmatize blacks as subhuman and lower stages of evolution that he applied to his own country, but sort of between the north Italians and the southern Italians. All this is, you know, really gives testimony to the truth that ideas do have consequences. Our scientific view of human beings can exalt us, as we've learned earlier today and even last night, or it can degrade us and lead to despicable things, which is the topic of this session. However you look at it, our scientific conceptions of human beings, uh, and uh, this is one of the topics we address at the CSC, uh, really does impact culture. Now. Dehumanization in the name of science isn't just about Darwinism, although uh, that is a key component. Uh, Any materialist conception of science can degrade us, as can mistaken views of scientific authority. But as I said, Darwinism has had a special role to play. This year we published a book by historian Richard Weikart, who's joining us for this session, on the role Darwinism has played in the promotion of a virulent form of scientific racism. You're going to hear from him in just a moment. Next year, I'm happy to announce, well, bittersweet, I'm happy and also sad to announce, for Black History Month, we are going to continue the exploration of Darwinism's impact on human degradation. We will be bringing out an important new book titled Darwin Comes to Africa, Social Darwinism and British Imperialism in Northern Nigeria. As I said, publication of this book is bittersweet, not just primarily because of the content, but because of the story of the author. It was written by Olufemi Olunai who actually uh, was a graduate of one of our in-person seminars in Seattle. In fact, Dr. Olunai was a scholar, a pastor, a journalist, human rights activist against corruption in Nigeria. He held a PhD from the University of Aberdeen. Discovery Institute was providing research funding for this. what turned into this book. And he, last year, uh, early in the summer last year, he did complete a draft. Unfortunately, just a few weeks later, he came down with COVID and he ended up dying from COVID. Um, he was a good friend that we, we got to know each other when he was physically here, and then, then it was online after that. Um, I'm grateful, though, that, and his family is grateful that God allowed him to finish a complete draft of his work. I'm also grateful for editor Amanda Witt, uh, who was able to edit the book into final form, even though Dr. Olenay, uh was not there to help. Well... With that sort of my introduction to the session, let's uh, let me talk about our panelists. Uh, our panel includes Dr. Richard Weikart, Wesley J. Smith, and then at the end, I'm, I have some comments myself. Dr. Weikart is, of course, a long-time senior fellow of the Center for Science and Culture. He's emeritus professor of history at California State University, Stanislaus. Uh, he really has become, I'd say, the preeminent scholar of the connections between Darwinism and and Nazism and in, in sort of uh in Nazi Germany. His uh books, like From Darwin to Hitler, Hitler's Ethics, Hitler's Religion, are really must-readings of the definitive books on how Darwinism shaped the toxic Nazi worldview and the impact that had. His early book, Socialist Darwinism, which is less known, examined Darwin's formative influences on the intellectual left, starting with Marx. Now, his book, uh trade book, The Death of Humanity. And The Case for Life provided a more expansive view of some of the roots of dehumanization in our culture. And then there is this uh, book that I referenced earlier, actually I uh, showed earlier, Darwinian Racism, How Darwinism Influenced Hitler and Up to White Nationalism Today. Uh, Richard holds a PhD in modern European history from the University of Iowa. And then joining uh, after Dr. Weikert speaks, we have Wesley J. Smith, who is one of America's premier thinkers on bioethical issues. He's been recognized as such by the National Journal. He's chair and senior fellow of Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism and host of the podcast Humanize, which if you haven't listened to, you should. Uh, it's fascinating. He may mention that. Wesley isn't formally a part of the CSC, uh, but I'm happy to say that the CSC provides support for him in his work. And so if you have supported the CSC, you have actually helped make Wesley's work possible. Uh, He's the author of over 14 books, such as Culture of Death and The War on Humans. Countless articles, hundreds if not thousands of articles, has been interviewed by hundreds of media outlets, including Good Morning America, CNN, Anderson Cooper, CBS Evening News, Fox News, C-SPAN, too many to list. So with that, Dr. Weichert will speak first, and then uh, Wesley Smith, and then I'll round it up, and then we'll have time for Q&A. So let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Weichert.
2: Thanks, John. Am I on okay? All right. Okay. I'm going to be talking today about just one facet of what I present in my book, uh, Darwinian Racism, How Darwinism Impacted. Hitler, Nazism, and white nationalism. I'm going to look at the white nationalism issue uh, today. And it's kind of remarkable if you look at what's been written about white nationalism uh, recently, especially among scholars, a lot of it has focused on the role of Christianity uh, and its relationship to white nationalism. Uh, There's been a number of books just this past year. Uh, Well, 2021, in fact, there were three major books, as well as other ones, too, One was called, The Bible Told Them So, How how Southern Evangelicals Fought to Preserve White Supremacy. And this is the kind of refrain you hear, too, on things like NPR. In July 2020, they had a report that was called this, White Supremacist Ideas Have Historical Roots in U.S. Christianity. However, if you start actually examining what white nationalists have written, what you start finding is that white nationalists today do not generally consider themselves Christian. There are a few that might, and there are some debates among some of them about that issue. Uh, but one thing that does come across in all of the white nationalist websites, and I examined quite a number of them as well as writings and such as I did the research on this book, was that they all are fervent believers in Darwinism, and they see their ideas about uh, white racism as being scientific, and they promote that idea uh, pretty strongly. Uh, So, for example, in fact, uh, Steve Meyer mentioned a couple of these examples last night, but if you actually read the writings of the white supremacist who uh, did his mass shooting in Buffalo at the Topps uh, grocery store, uh, in his manifesto, he claimed that he's not religious. He claimed that he's committed to science and rationality, uh, and he argued that races arose through biological evolutionary processes, uh, that there were subspecies that would diverge and such. Uh, and so it was based on uh, variation within species. And he thought that this variation was not only physical, but it was also mental uh, and even moral traits uh, were different between the races because of the uh, evolutionary uh, changes that took place. He claimed that the white race has higher intelligence, blacks have lesser intelligence, and he also claimed that uh, blacks have a higher tendency a biological tendency, biologically ingrained tendency uh, to crime and rape and such, building upon evolutionary uh, ethics uh, uh, ideas. And this is not an isolated example. In my book, uh, I bring in example, many examples uh, in the last chapter of it uh, in the post-Nazi period of people who identified either as neo-Nazis or as white nationalists, or as alt-right, which are over, these are all overlapping categories in any case. Uh, and I show how their racist ideas are built upon uh, Darwinian premises. And again, forthrightly so. I mean, if you look again, look at their websites, you look at their writings that they have done, they will acknowledge Darwin. There's lots of articles on their websites about Darwin, Darwinism, evolution, evolutionary ethics, uh, and such. So I can only give you a couple of real quick snapshots here today. Uh, But Richard Spencer, who maybe many of you've heard of, uh, who was a a leading figure in the alt-right movement, he got a little more press about five or six years ago than he's been getting recently. Uh, But Richard Spencer, one of the leaders of the alt-right, very forthrightly based his ideas about racial differences on evolution. He said this, group differences exist as consequences of evolution by natural selection. And then Spencer also said, quote, racial differences are a natural and normal consequence of human evolution. And then he also made this very interesting assertion, which is also a fairly commonplace among white nationalists. He said, quote, the preference for one's own race is a product of our evolutionary history. In other words, there's this notion of in-group uh, solidarity uh, that you're fighting against the out-group uh, in, in this Darwinian struggle for existence. And that's a very prominent idea among white nationalists. In fact, there's this very interesting book uh, that was actually published originally in 1896 by a, a person named Ragnar Redbeard, which is actually a pseudonym. We don't know actually who published it. Uh, but the book is called Might is Right, and it's very popular on white nationalist websites. There's actually a PDF available on one white nationalist website, at least there used to be. Again, I'm, I haven't kept track of this in the last few years, but since I when, I, when I was doing my research, it was available there. Other white nationalist websites were selling the book, uh, and many of them were recommending it. Uh, and this book, Might is Right, the subtitle is Survival of the Fittest. And this book, Might is Right, is one of the most incendiary pieces of social Darwinist literature that I have ever read. And I'm an expert on social Darwinism, so that's saying something. Uh, it's incredible the way he tries to stir up people to you know, take participate in the struggle for existence, uh, and again, based upon uh, his notion of racial differences. Uh, and when we're talking about ideas having consequences, uh, Just before uh, the Gilroy Garlic Festival in 2019, uh, a young man posted to his social media that everyone ought to read this book, Might is Right. After posting that to his social media, some of you may remember that he went and perpetrated a mass shooting at that Gilroy Garlic Festival in 2019. And this is not the only mass shooting. Uh, In fact, Steve mentioned the Columbine High School massacre, uh, where Eric Harris, uh, on Hitler's birthday, by the way, that was the day that it took place, uh, so there was a Nazi connection there, uh, but as he was perpetrating this mass murder, he was wearing a t-shirt that said, natural selection. So, uh, and in his, uh, uh, in his journal, which I've read extensively, uh, he made all sorts of comments that made clear his commitment to uh, Darwinism and natural selection. One of the things he said that sort of gets at the way that this erodes ideas of morality, which has been an important theme in a lot of my scholarship, looking at the way that Darwinism has uh, impacted uh, moral and ethical thought. Here's one thing that Eric Harris said, quote, just because your mommy and daddy told you that blood and violence is bad, you think it's a law of nature? Wrong. Only science and math are true. Everything, and I mean everything else, is man-made. So ethics and morality is all. There's no object objectivity to ethics and morality. Thus, in his world view. Now, one of the questions that I get sometimes when I bring out these issues of the connections between Darwinism uh, and, uh, excuse me, between white nationalism and Darwinism is, is white supremacism. A, People will object by saying, this is just a misinterpretation or a distortion of Darwinism. Well, actually, no, it's not a distortion of Darwinism. The very first chapter of my book, I look at Darwin's own views. And Darwin was very intensely racist. And Darwin was favoring certain races uh, to triumph in the a struggle for existence. In fact, he, saw, he thought British imperialism was a case study in the Darwinian struggle for existence among humans. Here's what he said in The Descent of Man. At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace throughout the world the savage races. And it's very clear from the context of that as well as other of Darwin's writings that he thought that was a good thing. He thought that this was gonna bring about human progress through uh, the struggle for existence. So for him, racial extermination is just a natural process, not anything we need to moralize about. Another reason why it wasn't just Darwin too. Most of the leading Darwinists in the late 19th and early 20th centuries uh, had very similar kinds of ideas and promoted the idea that uh, race was simply a product of evolutionary processes uh, and that the races were in a Darwinian struggle for existence. Now, thankfully, most Darwinists today are not racist. And so I'm not trying to say that Darwinism necessarily means a person is racist or is embracing white nationalism or something like that, not at all. Darwinism does not necessarily imply racism. And the reason for that, by the way, is because Dar- evolution and the variation that takes place in evolution does not necessarily mean anything about the value of those variations uh, or such. However, the fact that these Darwinists today are not uh, racist for the most part, although there are a few, uh, but most of them are not, uh, is not thanks to their scientific theory, but rather it's other factors that have brought about their anti-racist uh, kinds of views. Uh, but Darwinism itself uh, can lend itself either way uh, to racism or anti-racism. And certainly the uh, white nationalists think that they have logic on their side in arguing that there are these variations. However, I would also argue at the same time in closing here that materialist versions of Uh, Darwinism, in some ways, are anti-racist. That might come as a surprise to you, that statement I just made. Let me say it again because it sounds the exact opposite of what you might have expected me to say. (laughs) I do think that materialist versions of Darwinism are inherently anti-racist. But the reason for that will also surprise you. The reason for that is because they don't give us any reason to value any human life. In other words, we all have the same value in a Darwinian materialistic worldview, and that value is zero. Thank you.
0: That brings us to the end of John West and Richard Weichart's contributions to a panel discussion, Sobering thoughts on Dehumanizing Trends in So-Called Scientific Thought in Our Day. This was part of a panel discussion at a Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture Insiders briefing held in August 2022. We hope you'll come back for more. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.